This is Mission.org. You're working your butt off. You're working 15, 16, 18-hour days. I would find myself in the office with Nick Woodman and Justin Wilkenfeld and these guys that were the early guys till two, three in the morning. There were times we spent the night in the office. And that's just what it took. You know, if you didn't have that tenacity, you didn't really last long or you didn't get that raise. It's just because we knew we had a moment in time and we knew the competition was coming. Red Bull and GoPro are definitely names we've all heard of, but their approach to marketing is anything but typical. High energy extreme sports campaigns have made these products household names and broke the advertising mold. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and today I'm joined by Paul Crandall, one of the marketing legends behind these two brands' explosive growth. You'll hear all about his wild adventure from selling art in surf towns to running extreme sports events all around marketing. Be sure to take notes because this man has so much knowledge about building authentic brand reputation. I can't wait for you to hear it. What's been happening in your world since we since we connected in that last? Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm dabbling in a bunch of different things. I've um, moved to Board of Advisors for Kind Humans, and I'm venturing with a number of different brands. I'm an early investor in One Wheel, so I'm working with those guys. Day Trip, a cool new CBD-infused water. I'm a big fan, uh, helping them out. Wow. And a number of other opportunities. Uh, you know, I've, I'm I'm fiddling around in the micro mobility space. Uh, I've consulted with Bosch Electric Bike Systems, and uh. kind of that coupled with One Wheel. Uh, I'm on the board of Electrify wow. Expo, oh. which is a five stop event. I've heard about it. Yeah, yes. it's great. So, a uh, buddy of mine, BJ Burtwell, founded that. And uh, I called and I said, I have the same idea, but you're executing it. So, you know, that takes a lot of pressure off me. Let me help. <laughs> and uh, but I just love where e-mobility is going. And obviously there's the, a lot of the infrastructure starting to get built uh, instead of tax incentives and things like that. So it's a great, great space to play in. And it's fascinating. So I, I got my hands a lot of pots consulting wow. and working with various companies. You sound like a very typical entrepreneur marketer, for sure. <laughs> That's part of being a marketer, I guess. That's right. I mean, you found, hey, you found your flow. I'm really keen on hearing, you know, lessons learned from your days as, you know, Red Bull North America's kind of first head of, of mark of sports marketing. I also, of course, we want to talk about the lessons learned and the, and the adventures when you were GoPro's CMO for five years. Let's start a little bit before the Red Bull opportunity. Just take us through, you know, kind of early days marketing and kind of the things that led you down that path to, to how now kind of have this opportunity from the outside looking in to, to join Red Bull. What was kind of going on in your career, things you had learned, places you had been that really prepared you for that next step, which was to lead Red Bull's, you know, North America sports marketing? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a fun story to tell because when I, I graduated UC Santa Barbara, 
and I played volleyball for UC Santa Barbara and uh, for a little while, but I decided I liked riding mountain bikes and skiing better than getting yelled at by my volleyball coach. So I started venturing up to Squaw Valley and uh, I'm a Bay Area brat and I had some friends there and crashed on their couch. And essentially when I left UC Santa Barbara, well, I was selling Halloween t-shirts at UC Santa Barbara. We had this huge Halloween festival. And so I was doing door-to-door sales, selling these glow-in-the-dark t-shirts with Bugs Bunny doing all sorts of not-so-appropriate things. And, uh, and, and so that same gang of guys that I got together, we started selling artwork out of the back of our cars after college because no one wanted to put on a suit and tie and go work for the man yet. And so I used that artwork. I called it my ticket to ride. I could go into a ski town and blow through 20 Ansel Adam pictures and sell them to salons and whatnot and title companies, different businesses. And so I was doing, I did it all over the West. I went to, you know, Park City to Vail, the Sun Valley. I was mountain biking and skiing and selling artwork out of the back of my car. And it was along that journey where I found my passion. And I was crashed out on my buddy's couch in Vail, Colorado. He asked me to volunteer for a mountain bike festival. And I found myself hanging banners for television and seeing all these people come into the venue at 8, 9 a.m. I'd been up since 5, and everybody was smiling and having a good time. And I said, I want to do this. I want to to create experiences and try to put them on television. So I called my buddy Uncle E, Chris Ernst. Just got back from the Olympics. He's an announcer over there. And, yeah, him and I and a number of other guys, Nick Parada and a couple other guys, created... uh, Lord of the Boards, which was a skier cross and border cross race and telemark skiing, Lord of the Boards, who could do all three disciplines. We uh, produced the event and got it on television. And the guy who won the event asked me to volunteer for his mountain bike race and do the operations. Long story long, we ended up selling Red Bull their first sponsorship to that mountain bike event and uh, their first ship in the US. And that's how I met Red Bull. So I was really following my passions and I bumped into it and I called Red Bull and told them I'd sweep the floors and do anything to get a job there. Cause I was basically living out of my Subaru and on people's couches and whatnot. So they, they hired me, uh, in a small little office down in Pacific Palisades. The, the brand was nothing. Okay. Like it was really like nobody knew what it was. They were test marketing in Santa Cruz and Tahoe. So that's how it kind of happened. Very organic. And it was very real. It was like following my dad's words of wisdom, follow your bliss, son. You know, and and so that's what I did. I followed my passion into my dream job. Wow. So, you know, me as a dad of four young ones, you know, I think about the power of having someone like your dad saying, hey, son, like follow follow it and go hard. And that's really beautiful to hear. That was like a intersection for you to take. It really has. It's, it's, it's become our family theme and I've passed it on to my kids. It's relieving to know that, you know, when you follow your passions and you love something, you're better at it. You're happier. You're, you're going through life, probably not as, I don't know, stressed without the anxiety. Of course there's some, you know, when you're, when you're, not making as much money, especially in the early days, you got to make ends meet, but somehow it eventually worked out. And that's what my dad always told me and, and God bless his soul. But it was, uh, 
Uh, he was right. Dead on. <laughs> That's amazing. What is your first, you know, year into Red Bull full time? And then maybe talk us through, you know, graduating up into being the head of North America sports marketing there. Sure, sure. When I got there, um, my partner in crime at, at uh, Red Bull was Jim Gunning. He was leading the athlete relations and sponsorships. We had another gal in there. Uh, Marcy Bencomo is leading our student brand manager program. We had a controller, another finance person, an operations person, a head of sales, and a couple other folks. And so really, when I stepped in, the strategy was being passed down from Austria because Austria was just opening up the U.S. We were becoming our own entity, and but we had to get some guidance. And Dietrich Mateschitz is absolute genius marketer. He's the founder of Red Bull. And so found myself on a plane over to Austria quite a bit that first year. I think we went over there three or four times. I always just started drinking the Kool-Aid. And really what it was all about, and I, I'll never forget these words from Dietrich. He said, we want to do things that the bank wouldn't sponsor. And I thought about that. And I said, that's pretty cool, right? Banks have to sponsor something where they know exactly the ROI, the measurement they're going to get. He said, we want to do cool things for cool people in cool places. And Paul, go create events out of nowhere and make it come alive and bring people on with bright eyes and entrepreneurial spirit. And so it was really a ton of freedom we had. We did have a, the Austrians and we had a, a team starting to build at the headquarter level, starting to grow. But really that was our charter. Let's go do cool things for cool people in cool places. And let's capture those stories and let's, let's distribute them through news channels and television. This was before social media. So we, you know, we didn't do print ads because there's no energy in print. We had to have people moving around with the energy. So we started creating these events and athlete projects really uh, led by the athletes. We listened to our, what they call now influencers. Those were our friends of the family, our athletes, and they were true friends. This wasn't just like write a check. This is like, you know, if you're not invited to their birthday party, you're not doing your job. So we were taking those ideas from the athletes, which were really up-leveling the game in sports because they wanted to take things to a whole nother level that like uh, an existing event might not allow them to do. Red Bull being a private company and the mindset of Dietrich Mateschitz is do things a bank wouldn't sponsor, take risks, and the athletes should lead this. It shouldn't be our ideas. It should be their ideas. And we're going to own it. The content, we're going to own the property. We're going to definitely own the athlete's head because Red Bull vitalizes body and mind. But uh, it was it was a very special strategy and a very detailed one. You didn't you really didn't want to go too outside of of misbranding something. It was organized chaos, like any startup. A lot of different ideas. Marketers love ideas. We like to talk a lot. But it was really narrowing in on what is the what is the really unique concept? Why are we doing this? What is the story we're going to tell? Because a lot of these things were remote, right? So we had to gather the content, tell the story, so we broadcast it. And so we would do events like cliff jumping at Kahakili's Leap, which is over on Lanai in Hawaii, and that was where King Kahakili made his warriors jump off the cliff to become men. And so, you know, we were always tying in something very special to the event, a good narrative. And just on the on the note of kind of 
you know, walking into these conversations around sponsorship and, you know, and it being at the time, something maybe more outside the box or something new, what were some of the approaches there to, you know, make, to, you know, get into these sponsorship conversations around something that maybe wasn't as well known and sure unique and cool story, but was that enough sometimes to get the sponsorships needed and to create the opportunity? Yeah, well, we, we shifted our strategy from sponsoring events to owning them and our branding even today from Red Bull, everything that was branded was, you know, outside of the athletes was essentially a functional tool. It wasn't just a banner on the side of a hill. It was, it was an arch for a finish line. It was a big Red Bull can inflatable for a turning point in a race. The athlete branding was always the bulls facing forward to show momentum. So the strategies were, were there, but we, we drifted away from sponsoring events so we could own the entire property. And I think that strategy enabled us to control the narrative and uh, tell the story that was very authentic and it wasn't contrived. It was truly from, from the, we weren't allowed to speak to media. Nobody on Red Bull was allowed to speak to media. It was always the athlete or the organizer. So, you know, I didn't do TED Talks back then. I didn't do any of that stuff. We were, we were like, and I liked that, quite honestly. Dietrich, we didn't, we didn't love talking to media because it was, I don't know, it was just one of those things. It was, you're always bragging about yourself. And when you brag about yourself, trying to go, eh, you're saying what you want. As opposed to somebody else telling the story, it's much more authentic and credible. Okay, so... Talk, talk through a little of, you know, now kind of transitioning, you know, from Red Bull to GoPro again, kind of same deal. What was the opportunity? What stage was GoPro at there? And maybe some stories of, you know, you joining and the things you got to do while you were there at GoPro. Uh, the GoPro is just such a beautiful company, as was Red Bull. Um, GoPro, when I met Nick Woodman, he basically said, you know, I've got some of my best friends working for me. I've got family members working for me. I've got, you know, 12, 15 people, I social and sports and content creators. And I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I, I want to build a camera. I want to, you know, scale this company. Come help me scale this, but please help me organize this team. And so, yeah, I mean, I got there, put some structure on the team, re-architected the team a little bit, got everybody in their swim lanes and, and really drove a a culture of togetherness. You know, I take that from my team sports career and, you know, culture to me being real and relating with people was so important because everybody's got their superpower. No one wants to fail. Everybody wants to work hard and they'll work through the night for a brand if you enable them and you empower them and you give them clear vision. But yeah, worked with them on their KPIs and their OKRs and all those fun marketing buzzwords, but you know, really enabled them and let them run. So kind of took what was organized chaos, put some organization around it, got everybody in their swim lanes. And I quickly jumped on a plane and put a conscience in the EU market. We, we had distributors all over the world who needed support. And especially in EMEA in Europe and the distributors needed support. So we need a marketing conscience over there. So we we got that going and started to scale the marketing support globally and shifted the mindset and headquarter team from we're not just executors doing this thing in, in the US. You know, we've got distribution around the world and it's in different languages. Not everybody surfs in Germany. So what do they do there? Right. We have a camera company. What's the content that the Germans are going to 
attach them to them, themselves to, or the Australian community. Some of it could cross over, some of our content and our marketing strategies could, but we had to localize and we had to make it authentic for the region, really speak the language and speak to the culture. I was very proud of that. I think the team did an incredible job, very fast. What was it like being there during, you know, a time of such, I would say, velocity of growth and like explosive growth? Because, you know, you've got the pieces of something really special. If you don't have the right kind of infrastructure to support that growth, it can be a nightmare, you know? And so clearly there's some rocket ship probably experience there, you know, in that time when you were there because GoPro just blew up. And so what was it like kind of being in the midst of all that growth? Now you're global, there's international presence and you're supporting, you know, distributors, like you said, around the world. And were there some moments of like, okay, we're building this thing, the rocket ship in mid-flight type of deal? Or do you feel like, you and the leadership team had already put things in place. Oh, no, we were definitely building the railroad tracks as the, the train was going down, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> laying down the tracks as, you know, here it comes. So we, we you know, we knew we, we're just like Red Bull. We knew we had lightning in a bottle and it was a matter of scale and scale quick. So there's no way around it. You're working your butt off. You're working 15, 16, 18 hour days. I would find myself in the office with Nick Woodman and Justin Wilkenfeld and these guys that were the early guys till two, three in the morning. There were times we spent the night in the office. And that's just what it took. And, you know, if you didn't have that tenacity, you didn't really last long or you didn't get that raise, you know, it's just because we knew we had a moment in time and we knew the competition was coming. It was always fast and furious. And we, I think we thrived on that because we we're all sports guys and we thrived on the adrenaline and gals too. There was plenty of women in our, on our team that had that same rigor and tenacity. Christina Anderson, our head of creative, who is now Christina Schwartz, like the tenacity to get shit done and get it out the door, the 80% rule, fine, let's go. You know, we didn't compromise ever on, on our, on our content quality, but you know, some of our strategies, uh, there was, there was some ready, shoot, aim moments for sure. What do you share with brands that when you see they have this moment in time, you know, and they've got this opportunity, that's still no guarantee that they're going to capitalize like you have not once, but twice. And maybe other times besides Red Bull and GoPro, but what do you share around like this moment in time with other brands that you've seen, like have the same kind of opportunity as you had at GoPro and, and Red Bull. I like to say the fish rots at the head. So you better have a very clear vision from the founder because everybody at the end of the day, you can have your VPs and you can have your C-suite, and but your, your CEO uh, is usually the tenacious leader. And so clear vision, clear mission statement, uh, 100%. And a very, from a marketing side, a very clear set of brand guidelines. What is, and especially our personality, who are we? And what is our unique selling proposition? What are we really trying to do? Let's define that. And we can get the team to build plans and strategies to ladder up to those things. So we, you got to have those fundamentals in place. You know, you're building a brand identity. You're building the Moment 10 years down the road, when people think of you, what are the, what's the first thing that comes to, your, to their mind? You know, it's reliability, it tastes great, it, it, the camera quality is that incredible. What is it? And, and so really landing on that, that GoPro is gone, live a big life. And uh, I think we inspired that. 
But yeah, I think the clear vision and work with the team and build a great culture. Once you get the vision and mission in place, it's all about the people and the people that are going to get behind that. Who's going to grab their shovel and try to move that mountain? And I was always very passionate about going around the office as we, as we scaled the teams in both cases and making sure that the team is equipped to be successful. Do you have the right tools? Do you understand what you're doing? Do you understand where we're going? Retweaking KPIs and OKRs constantly, getting into a rhythm of business planning and getting things, getting out in front of things and really, really focusing on what's working and what's not. Because those, those two questions are critical. What's working and what's not? Because that's going to drive your entire business plan for next year. So everything you're doing right now, make sure you're recapping it. Make sure we're socializing that and make sure that that's communicated and socialized with the team so we can advance to next year or the next time we do that thing and make sure we do it right. So that was, that was really important. Uh, and, then, and then enabling the people to make sure they could do it because no one likes breathing down their neck anymore. That's not where we live anymore. It's, it's smart human beings. No one wants to fail. Empower them. We're adults. They should be able to come back and say, I did this great, but I'm more interested in what we didn't do great. I love failure more than success because failure allows us to grow. I love success too, but without failure, you know, we can't grow. It's like a baby. You fall down, you get up, you learn not to fall down again. You're leading me right to my next question. Do you have a favorite failure example or story from your days at Red Bull or and or GrowPro? I'd say one of the biggest ones, you know, I've started out in the event business and we had rented out Red Rocks Amphitheater and we created an event called Red Bull Rockin' Air. And uh, we had planned it for two years and there's a lot of people involved. And we had, I think, uh, Pennywise and Sublime coming to play and we had built a big jump on the side of the bleachers there going down into the amphitheater and... And we loaded it up with snow. And the morning of the event, the snow overwhelmed the structure and it started to buckle. And literally the C-clamps that were holding the scaffolding together were shooting across red rocks. And this is uh, at about 5.30 a.m. I'll never forget it. On a Saturday morning, we had people showing up at noon. And, you know, at that moment, you really start to shrink and you get you know, you're like, oh my God, this is really happening. So we said, well, we're in the solutions business. We got everybody together. We can get a city engineer down here right away. We did. We unloaded the snow off the ramp. The venue became secure. The athletes couldn't have been nicer. You know, we were so apologetic to the athletes and real. I think that authentic, like, hey, we're really sorry this happened, but we're going to, the show's going to go on. We got, you know, whatever, five, six, 7,000 people showing up in two hours. We're going to do it. And the show went on. Everybody loved it. No one really thought twice about the big air. And it made me realize that, you know, there's always going to be, we can call them problems, but let's focus on solutions. Let's move past the problem. Let's focus on the solution. And I think that's helped me in my career get through a lot of uh, challenging times and uh, focus on the positive. You get through it. If you get a little bad press, you're still a really strong brand. If you do the right things and you're authentic and you're genuine and you be real with your consumers, don't lie to them. 
they're going to call you out if you do. But hey, your scaffolding, we're really sorry. If you want your money back, I think we even said submit here. And I think one person asked for their money back, really. I mean, we really felt bad. But I, th- I think that authenticity and, and real. I mean, I love hearing that from a guy who was a part of a team that, you know, was making, we're talking, there's a scale and impact. And this isn't, you know, just a couple of people working in, in, in an office, you know, with a little side project that, you know, if things don't go so well, they could, you know, pivot and shift. I mean, at this point in the game, you know, you're working at a brand where these decisions and these mistakes and they, there's impact, right? And, and it can be, it can be global in nature, depending on the, on the failure. And, and I love how you brought it back to, you know, being really honest and authentic and move and thinking, okay, we're still not going to shift out of being solution oriented. That's what got us here. Let's keep going. Cause I could also see the other side of that being like the impact of this is huge. And then you could go down that trail of thought and then get lost in that. And so I love how you kept to that core, you know, core value of like being authentic and being honest with stakeholders and customers and fans and all the above. Absolutely. So important. And it's still today. Let's shift into a little fun kind of lightning round, Paul. For our listeners out there, if this is your first time checking out Marketing Trends, we appreciate you. If you've been with us for a while, you already know how we do it. But this show is sponsored by Salesforce. And Salesforce, we appreciate you because when I think of marketing and engagement, Salesforce brings these two things together. So for those of you interested, check out salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got Paul Crandall. Paul is a former CMO at GoPro, former head of marketing at Red Bull. We probably could have several hours with this gentleman to talk about the awesome stuff he's seen and done. Paul, first question on the lightning round, texting or talking? I like texting for the record and I like talking for context. Okay, okay. What's one thing that you love and appreciate about yourself? I just have a lot of optimism. I think people are, I believe in people. And I believe that nothing is impossible. I think we are here on this planet to solve problems and, and live a big life. And uh, yeah, I, that's, that's what I appreciate about myself. That's great. What is your favorite day of the week? Saturday is usually the greatest day of the week for me. Favorite city, and I'll, I'll, I'll expand outside of the U.S. because you've, you've seen a lot of cities, but what's your favorite city besides the one you live in? New York. I love New York City. Okay. All right. Okay. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Oh, definitely talk to animals. 100%. Yes. Okay, good. We only had two people that chose this and we've asked a bunch of CMOs this question. So you're number three that's chosen animals. And I'm, I'm a fan of that one. What's your favorite holiday? Fourth of July, man. Floating on the boat, boarding up in Tahoe, barbecuing. I love it. Please fill in the blank here. Something wise my elders taught me was. Oh, follow your bliss from my dad. Yeah. Follow your bliss. Gosh, I love that. And I'm, I'm, I'm and Paul, I'm stealing that one for, for my kids because I think it's so poignant. I did not receive that message from my, my parents. I love mom and dad, but, but boy, just being told those magical words, I could see, you know, wow, like empowering, you know, a young, a young person to go for it. So I love that. Love your dad for that one. What would you choose here? Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Okay. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? Uh, Unless your animal is named Cracker, uh, I'd say perfectly fine. Okay. I love it. 
if you weren't, you know, in marketing leadership, if you hadn't chosen that path, what would you be doing? I'd be a karaoke rock star. No, um, I'd probably be in sales and operations. I, I love sales and operations too. And so, you know, kind humans gave me the opportunity to lead all that. So I've been doing that for the last year and a half and that's been really fun. I love the operations side. That comes from my event background too. If you could go back and whisper into your younger self about being a marketing leader, what would you, what would you whisper to yourself? Understand the entire business. It's not all about marketing as many marketers might think it is, right? You've got operating expenses, you've got HR, you've, you got to understand everything to some extent and have that respect and understanding for the rest of the business. Are there any kind of things in terms of just current events that you're noticing and seeing stuff that you like brands are doing stuff that you're kind of unsure about just curious of just your general opinion around some of these maybe up and coming fast growing brands that you've had a chance to look at versus where you've come from in your day what's your just general thought about marketing now the in this day and age and some of the things maybe you're noticing any thoughts around that i think that authenticity you know so many of these brands are using influencers and i I don't love the name influencer. I think they should be friends of the brand that have a lot of people that like them. You know, that's too long. So we just call them influencers, but really they're friends of the brand. And, and a lot of brands are hiring these agencies to go find a bunch of influencers with them. Well, guess what? A lot of these influencers haven't even tried your brand. If it's a CPG, they're jumping online to promote something they've never really experienced. I don't think that's authentic. And so I think I'm nervous about authenticity and the message it's sending to my 14 and 17 year old who hear it from me all the time, right? And they're the first ones to call it out. They're like, this person doesn't use this. And it, you know, I love what Subway did with Tom Brady, right? It's like, guys, I don't even eat bread. This is a commercial. That's genius, you know? It's just dead on. Be genuine, be authentic. Please have a meaningful relationship marketers out there with the people you're working with. I've seen that trend. The content is just getting so creative on the various social channels, very engaging, almost to the point of exhaustion. We get so locked in to this content and, and everybody's just like more, more, more content. But I, but with kind humans, we definitely locked in on, on a strategy that was more like, who are the people out there that are, the, are rebels of kindness? Who are doing things that are good for themselves, others in the planet? I'd love to see more businesses be a force for good and promoting content to inspire a better world and a happier place and with some give back component. Uh, I think it's important rather than line the shareholders wallets with a million bucks, give them 500,000. It's okay. You know, whatever it is. But I think we can all do a better job of being more authentic, uh, giving back, being very sensitive to the people in this world that may not be able to afford our products or they see it and it's aspirational, but you know, that they might, you know, their, their luck's not as good as others. Just be respectful, be authentic, be genuine. You know, I'm, I'm going to repeat those words over and over. It's kind of the words I've lived by my entire career. Are there brands that kind of stick out to you that, that are doing, doing it in your opinion, the right way? Oh yeah. I mean, I could, I could go off on a, on a bunch of brands I'll go back to Red Bull and GoPro, and it's very authentic. They're doing magnificent content and storytelling, and they're very genuine and real. 
just because I work for them, so I'm biased. But I, I know the strategies, and I, I think they're doing a job. Above that, I think it's your, you know, I'm always going to say I love Apple. I love what they do, and I love how they keep things simple and nearly give us a great user experience, although I'm not on my Mac, unfortunately. But I've always been a huge fan of Pit Viper. I love Pit Viper. Styled sunglasses. And uh, I was always a big Oakley fan. Oh, I have seen these. Yes, I love these. Yes. I think it's cool. It's different. You know, I love innovation. I love people, you know, it's like day trip. This brand here, it's like, okay, CBD is not regulated, but you know what? It does great things. And they're one of the first to infuse it with water. And like, hey, the FDA is going to regulate it someday. We're going to be the front runner. But there's a lot of great benefits with CBD. And unfortunately, the pharmaceutical industry is going to keep holding them back because it's going to affect things for pain. It's going to affect things for anxiety. And we all have it. We all have pain and anxiety. I don't care who you are. No one's perfect. And so brands that are disrupting and innovating in categories and taking risks, you know, Liquid Death, nailing it 100%. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Right. Like they're really disruptive and they're, they're marketing spot on and promoting the water in a can, reducing the plastic waste. I love that. And inspiring kids to drink more water. Okay. It looks like a beer can. So what? Our kids are drinking more water and we're reducing plastic. Get over ourselves. <laughs> You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.